1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Inside OU Podcast. This is Brady Trantham. Um, Right now I am joined uh, by John Hoover, not in person, uh, because that's kind of how you know you've made it in the podcasting world is when you know that you have a schedule and you've made a commitment to put out, you know, not one, but, you know, a few episodes a week, you know, sometimes we can't always be in the same spot. I mean, of course, I live in Norman. John Hoover lives in Tulsa. Rufus Alexander lives in uh, Blanchard. He works in Norman. So uh, Rufus and I will be able to meet up in person a little bit more up until uh, the season starts. But this is how you know you made it, John, is when we have to do these uh, podcasts via phone dates. Well, thankful uh, for modern technology right that we can uh, that we can hook up and give the give the OU fans their uh, their their crack so to speak their crack <laughs> cocaine which is OU preseason football a lot of unanswered questions and we're going to try and answer some of them and we're going to do this one without the use of a camera without the use of uh, uh, high-tech equipment we're just going to go plain old telephone service so looking forward to it Exactly, and you know it, it's it's kind of funny you said that because like OU fans, I mean I'm even feeling it right now, like the excitement for football season. I mean it's a little different for me because I cover the Thunder, so it's NBA, it's basketball all day long. But then it gets to a point like right around now where it's okay, I need to start making that shift into football. I can't wait for it, and now it's like I'm hungry for every little thing. Like I don't care. Just let's hurry up and in the charade that is the offseason. Like, um, everybody's undefeated. Everybody's optimistic. And even OU fans, like, John, I've got a group chat um, on Twitter, and it's nothing but OU fans. It's a, it's an OU group chat. And you can tell. Everybody's hungry. People are starting to believe, like, maybe I, sh- maybe I should be excited about this defense going forward. Well, yeah, this is the time when optimism reigns, right? Uh, preseason football, so... Um... You know the coaches too. I mean, listen, the coaches are smart. When you when you talk to the coaches in the preseason, they're not going to talk down anybody. They're going to talk up everybody. Um, they got they got some egos to rebuild and some you know guys that need need to be stroked a little bit. Uh, so so there are no concerns on the uh, OU offensive line, and there are no concerns whatsoever on the OU defense. Are, are we to believe that? Oh man. <laughs> it depends on what level of fan or what level of journalist you are. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're I, right. I feel like questions need to be asked every single day up until um, OU's ultimate destination. Is it a playoff berth? Is it possibly a national title contender? Is it something less than that? I mean, of course, we're going to find out. But uh, we'll get into all that, of course, on this episode. But really quick, John, I want to get into some, uh, some housekeeping stuff for just a second. Uh, first of all, um, John, as you know, um, we, we've got a lot of good early traction on this podcast. A lot of good, a lot of people have shown their appreciation and their excitement for it. Um, we've got, I think, about eleven reviews or eleven ratings on Apple Podcasts, and I never really check Spotify or Google Play. So if you guys are listening on anything other than uh, Apple Podcasts and have reviewed, uh, thank you so much. I just haven't checked those, but from at least the uh, iTunes perspective, uh, it seems like people are excited about this show and. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody out there that's uh, 
kind of jumped on board and made it fun for uh, John, myself, and uh, Rufus, who joined us on Monday. Um, it's it's a lot more fun when we know people are interested and in, uh, having fun with it. And then also, speaking of Rufus, we are very excited to have Rufus on. And I know OU fans were really excited to see that Rufus had joined. Uh, got a lot of good reviews on the uh, uh, last episode that we did on Monday. But that kind of was the segue into the next thing, John, that I wanted you to highlight. Um, when Rufus and I were uh, recording that podcast, it um, it was a little bit earlier in the day. And I think it was around the time that the Mike Gaddis news um, was released because I had to drive up to the station all the way up in Oklahoma City right after that show um, to go work on some stuff. And I recorded another podcast, the OKC82 podcast with Chisholm Holland. And so about an hour after that, I was on Twitter and I saw uh, Dylan Buckingham from Channel 4 put out a Mike Gaddis clip. And I just, I I didn't see anything. I was just like, oh, what happened to Mike Gaddis? Because usually when that happens, it's, you know, usually something bad has happened. And unfortunately, Mike Gaddis did pass away. And uh, a little bit before my time, he was technically the running back at OU when I was born in 1990. But he was, of course, hurt that season. Uh, didn't play, finished out the year in 91. So when I was a child, John, when I was a baby, like Mike Gaddis was one of the better players at the University of Oklahoma. And I've always been um, a little bit educated on just the highlights, just the understanding that he was, he could have been one of the greats if not for some unfortunate injuries. But uh, you put out a very good article on the franchiseok.com where you got like guys like Barry Switzer, J.D. Runnels, to give you some really good quote. It's it's a fantastic story, so I really recommend everybody going out there, checking it out, checking it out on the website. And you also put out a video tribute for him. But I just want to give you the floor because you obviously have a little bit more of a a personal understanding of what Mike Gaddis actually meant at the University of Oklahoma. Yeah, it's always a, a humbling thing to get to write um, these these stories and interview interview you know the particulars interview the people who knew mike gaddis the best um i mean i've interviewed him once or twice through the years and i felt like i knew him a little bit he's very genuine guy very friendly very accommodating very helpful all that stuff but you get to it with barry switzer and you get with guys like jd runnels who came from his high school um and you hear the stories and the appreciation that generations of people different generations of people kale gundy was another one so you've got one that coached him, one that played with him, and one that followed him as you know, 15 years later yeah. at uh, both Carl Albert and OU. You get a, a, a broad perspective on not just the player that Mike Gaddis was, but the but the man, the individual, uh, the character. Uh, it, both, both without me mentioning it or bringing it up, both Barry Switzer and J.D. Runnels brought up the Jerry Curl. He made Jerry Curl <laughs> famous in Oklahoma, man. Uh you know, shout out to Eric LaSalle on uh, Coming to America, who who inspired Michael Cage to do his uh, <laughs> his hair, you know, that way. But uh, but in eight in uh, 88, 89, 90, 91. Yeah, it was, it was all the rage. <laughs> yeah, it was the rage. And not only that, but you talk about somebody that rocked it. It was Mike Gaddis. Um, and, and people just can't say enough good things about him. You know, Kel Gundy said he could have been one of the very best if he if he stays healthy. There's no telling what he could have done. Switzer flat out said in 1990, I'm sorry, 1989, uh, which I believe was the year that Andre Ware won the Heisman Trophy. Um, Mike Gaddis had over 800 yards rushing in the Sooners' first six games and, and was well <laughs> on his way to uh, you know sh- shredding Texas. I think he had 130 yards through two and a half quarters. 
and uh, you know, including a long one, and blew out his knee. And not just a regular knee injury; it was pretty severe. And he missed the rest of the ninety, the '89 season, all of the '90 season, and came back. And you know, if you talk to the people around him, he was kind of a shell of himself in uh, in 1991. But yet, he rushed for 1,344 yards and 17 touchdowns as a shell of himself. The guy, talent-wise, in terms of being big, strong, powerful, slashing, speed, hands to catch out of the backfield. Uh, run with power, run with speed, run with elusiveness. He he was the total package. He was um, he was on that level, maybe uh, or at least was maybe headed that way. And I'm not, I don't think this is overstating it because this guy is is besides Walter Payton is my personal favorite running back of all time. He was on that level of guy that Eric Dickerson was six three. Eric Dickerson was six three two twenty. Mike Gaddis was six two two fifteen. Um, and had a lot of the same skills. So I'm comparing him to one of my all-time favorite backs. Eric Dickerson went to SMU and tore it up. Mike Gaddis went to OU and tore it up. Anybody that thinks Mike Gaddis couldn't have been a guy like Eric Dickerson, stay healthy. It's like like Spitzer said, so many knee injuries take so many players. Billy Sims was on his way to you know, probably fifteen or 16,000 career yards as an NFL back, blew out his knee in his fourth year in the NFL and never could get healthy again. So... Um, it's it's a you know a promise unfulfilled and a, and a uh, not a tragic career because so many people fondly remember him, but the fact of the matter is he could have been one of the all time greats. Um, you know, in in the lead on my column, for instance, I say if Marcus Dupree, Dupree was the best that never was, you know the video. Yeah. Then Mike Gaddis was the best that was for just a little while because we got we got a lot of flashes of how great Mike Gaddis could be. Yeah, and the you know, kind of the unfortunate thing for him, just as a you know, from the perspective of somebody that, like I said, I was born in 1990, so um, there, like my uh, my parents have this cool picture of me um, as a really young baby sitting on a blanket on the floor. Um, my dad was actually in Saudi Arabia during the Gulf War, so it was just my mom and me, and I'm sitting um, at the t- um, on the floor watching TV, and it happened to be the 1990 OU Nebraska game where OU beat them, I think, like 45 to 10. And I think that was probably about the last time that OU beat Nebraska um, up until, um, I think, until 2000 when they beat them during the national title year. But, you know, obviously, like a lot of my Mike Gaddis understanding um, comes from just basically doing research. And I'm a I'm a nerd. I'm an absolute historical nerd. So um, I I used to love when I was in high school, just kind of going to Soonerstats.com or Wikipedia and just like looking up old schedules old numbers and yeah you can certainly see with Mike Gaddis just the the drop off and the other kind of unfortunate thing for him and you might be able to shed some light on this a little bit more because I'm kind of curious um, he was also there at, at an unfortunate time he was there at the tail end of Barry Switzer's career which um, I think the second to last year Barry Switzer was the head coach they uh, played in the national title and lost to Miami in the Orange Bowl the final year was when they went to the um, I don't know what it was called back then, but it it eventually became the Russell Athletic Bowl. It, it's Citrus that, Bowl. Yeah, it's the Citrus Bowl, where they also lost to Clemson, and then yep. Switzer uh, was forced to resign. So Gaddis, you know, he was there in that transition where, um, in those early 90s teams, there was still a lot of leftover talent yep. um, from the Switzer years and kind of that aura that was the University of Oklahoma. But with um, probation, with Cale Gundy being there, and uh, Gary Gibbs wanting to kind of focus the offense more towards a uh, you know, pocket passing, trying to open up the playbook a little bit. Um, 
it, it just, oh, you just kind of fell off. And I feel like, because I, I was kind of perusing the comments on your video tribute, which is always kind of an adventure in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had seen some people that were like, what, Mike Gaddis is top five at OU? And if you have that understanding that he was so great and then he got hurt and he was still pretty damn good, also at a time where OU was on probation, losing a legendary head coach and going through a, a wide culture shift in terms of how they played football, it gives you a better understanding of just how good Mike Gaddis was, I feel. Yeah, uh, no doubt. I I, I don't feel um, the only guy that I would consider for the potentially, in terms of my rankings, I'll give you what what I I put out. Um, And I've been watching OU football since the 70s. So there's there's guys that uh, obviously came before my era, but, uh, uh, you know, Steve Owens, obviously, Billy Vessels, couple of Heisman winners. Clendon Thomas is on their level for sure. Tommy McDonald. Uh, Tommy McDonald, a halfback receiver, quarterback kind of guy that could do a little bit of everything. So there, there's no doubt. But in terms of just modern-day football, what the NFL uses is 1970s since the merger. So that's kind of what I was using for my list of top running backs. Now, I will say this. I think I did leave a guy out, and I probably should have made it my top 11 instead of my top 10. <laughs> it's hard with uh, OU, man. It's it's really hard. Well, it's, it's at OU, yeah. I mean, Greg Pruitt, uh, I got him at number 11, and, and that's probably way too low. But the guys in front of him, the guys that I have in front of him are like, uh, he deserves to be on there. He definitely deserves to be on there. He's the, he's the all-time leading rusher. He's the one that brought him through the dark period. Uh, you know, you could go, you could make a list and a, and a case for everybody on this list. I've got Joe Washington at number five. Okay, so my top, my top, four, my top five are this. Marcus Dupree, Adrian Peterson, Billy Sims, Mike Gaddis, Joe Washington. I got a lot of people saying Gaddis doesn't belong in the top five, and I'm like, well, then you didn't see him run. You, clearly, <laughs> if if you think he would not top five, you didn't see him play. Marcus Dupree is number one. Well, again, if you didn't see him, if you're just looking at stats, no, he's not on that list. If you're looking at career achievements, no, he's not on that list. In terms of ability, th- and that's where I'm going with this list is more of – you know, pure ability, um, durability for sure, and uh, and then career achievements as well. And that's where I think I left uh, do it through it off uh, probably a, a little bit. I, I probably should have tried to f- find a way to make him ten and ten a. Um, the second five, though, I mean, where where do you put Greg Pruitt, Demarco Murray, yeah, Samaje P Ryan? I mean, Murray leads the Murray set the record for all purpose yards and and. You know, it did it in a season and did it in a career. Samaje Pirine comes about, comes around and sets the all-time rushing record. You compare Pirine now to the guy that I got at number eight, Joe Mixon. Mixon's probably a better all-around player than than Samaje Pirine. Exactly. So, so I got Demond Parker at number nine and Quentin Griffin at ten. And you can make a case for if you're going to put if you're going to say ability in terms of just ability. Marcus Dupree's number one, then Quentin Griffin doesn't belong on the list. And I kind of get that. I awarded Quentin for his career accomplishments. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd go in there and I'd redo this and I'd make it 10 and 10A uh, with uh, Greg Pruitt as number, number somewhere in the top 10 for sure. Yeah, I only had, like, I guess if you want to call them a problem, I only had two problems with your list. And the first one, you know, maybe it's just because I, I was alive and I was watching OU when I was a teenager, like what was well aware of what was going on. Adrian Peterson has to be number one. I mean, I would understand the debate between Adrian Peterson and Billy Sins if I'm talking to somebody from my dad's generation, because obviously you saw both play. 
But the thing that I've always um, figured, especially now because there's that awesome 30 for 30 with Marcus Dupree, so people in my generation have a better understanding of what Dupree was like. Adrian Peterson was Marcus Dupree, maybe a little bit lesser in talent, but Adrian Peterson had the work ethic, whereas at the time, Dupree just didn't have it. So right. that, that's why no, that's 100% right. That's where I've always kind of separated those two. Um, and then the other thing, and it was mainly your little um, description on Quentin Griffin where you said he was the perfect back at the perfect time. Man, I really wish he didn't have to burn his red shirt in 1999 because he would have been a senior on the 2003 team. And, oh, my oh, goodness, yeah. how badly did they need him at the end of that season. So uh, but other than that, I can't really argue with your list. Yeah, and, and – one of the guys that it may be the most iffy, and I might I might put Greg Pruitt ahead of going back and, and looking at this and evaluating. I might put Greg Pruitt ahead of Demond Parker. I might make Demond Parker number eleven. He was so good. He, he was so good. So fast. So cool uh, with the rolled and, up jersey in the back. Oh yeah. And the yes. yeah, yeah. Half shirt. Um, but he played in literally the dark days of OU football. He he got the hell out of here so fast he wasn't ready for the NFL but he got the hell out of here so fast that when Bob Stoops came along he's like nah coach thanks appreciate it uh, thanks but no thanks I'm going I'm, I don't know if I'm going to the NFL but I'm going there's a part I'm, of me that, here. there's a part of me that doesn't really blame him <laughs> oh no of course not no you, you'd like to see him have stayed for his senior year so Q could have uh, you know stayed in red shirt and then been available that 2003 year uh, I think that would have been one more possibly certainly would have strengthened the argument for another national championship for Bob Stoops if, if he's available in that Sugar Bowl against LSU. Oh, yeah. And then who, who knows what the ceiling was for DeMond in that 19 uh, – you know, they didn't have a lot of running backs in that 1999 season. Stoops was kind of mixing and matching and, and pairing guys and running some quarterback stuff. And, you know, it, it was not the best running back situation. If he'd had DeMond Parker as a senior, who knows how good that team could have been. Yeah, they – I mean, really, that team, you know, they were learning how to win. They were learning how to close games. A lot of those games, except for, I think, maybe Colorado or Tech that year, OU led at some point, like late in the first half or early into the second half. And having a competent running game uh, with a DeMond Parker would have probably helped OU win a few more games at least that year. So, who, I mean, overall, who knows? And I guess really one more quick thing because, I mean, this just kind of gives you a better picture of how hard it is to make a top 10 running backs list at OU. I mean, you, you mentioned that you left Greg Pruitt off and that you'd probably want to put him back on that top 10 or top 11. But, you know, we're, we haven't even mentioned guys like Spencer Tillman, uh, Patrick Collins, uh, just guys that like big time guys that made big time plays in big time games. It's 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 nearly impossible. But I mean, kudos to you for uh, for having the bravery to put it out there. <laughs> well, it's been uh, it's it's been well received. I've gotten uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback that actually said your list is a hundred percent correct, ten out of ten. I'm like, wow. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, I know that's pretty great, right? Um, when you've got you know, so many guys, like you said, to choose from. OU's rushing yards per game. We all know um, Samaj P. Ryan. Who held it before that? Greg Pruitt. 200, 294 yards, Greg Pruitt. Who who almost beat that? DeMond and, and Parker. Pruitt's not on my top ten. DeMond Parker was at yeah. 291. I mean, these are guys that, and you know, of course there's Gaddis at number five, and you see Joe Mixon. Uh, Earl Johnson's on there. People were telling me there was a freshman by the name of Johnson. I can't remember his name. Yeah. 
he was a fullback. He was a classic tailback, but because of the crowded backfield, Switzer had to make him a fullback in the wishbone. <laughs> so just so, so, so many great all-time. And I think OU makes as good a case as just about anybody when it comes to being tailback U. No, exactly. But, yeah, everybody, if, if you want to check all this stuff out, like definitely go to thefranchiseok.com. If it's not on the front page by this time that you're listening to this and you want to check it out, just click the Hoover tab, go to his archive. It's going to be there. He has a video uh, where he talks about the top ten running backs that we were just kind of chatting about just now. And then, of course, that piece that has uh, quotes from Barry Switzer, J.D. Runnels, and Cale Gundy. Yeah, I cannot stress how much you should check it out. We've got plenty of time until football starts, so you all have plenty of time. But now... Uh, John, let's let's kind of segue back into the the present day, which is what everybody else is probably uh, worried about. Because, um, like like we talked about at the beginning, we're, we're getting to that point in the off season where we're just all itching for it. Like we've talked about all the points, we know what to expect, we know what questions we have for this team, and what ultimately happens, we just have to wait for. But now we still have two, three weeks left, and um, I, I believe OU wraps up fall camp. Is it this week at the yeah. this weekend? Yeah, because uh, class starts next week at OU, mm-hmm. so uh, game prep's going to be starting. You know, it, it's it's here, folks. So um, you can smell it in the air almost. I believe the first college football game starts a week from Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. So you'll have something to watch. We'll have Kyler Murray um, uh, playing his preseason game tonight. So everyone's excited about that. But, John, um, you know, Alex Grinch, uh, B, uh, Bill Beanbow, they talked to the media this week. Uh, Grinch, you know, it, we, we talked about this on the first episode, how he kind of he kind of likes the um, the competition that's going on in the defensive backfield. But but even then, on that first episode, we, we both questioned, like, is he just saying that because that's what, he's le- that, that's what he simply has? Or is that what he wants as a culture moving forward? But with the injury to Trey Norwood, uh, B- Buki Radley-Hiles kind of sliding back into that starting nickelback spot. Um, I, I guess my question to you, based on what Grinch has said, like, is there enough optimism? Is there enough evidence there to say that, yes, the secondary can be, they can be okay? Or is it mainly focusing on, well, it's not just on them. It's the Is it the defensive line that has to um, cause pressure to help out the secondary? I mean, just where are you at on Grinch's comments this past week? Oh, well, yeah, a lot, to, a lot to unpack when you talk about Alex Grinch. Uh, number one, let's just start with his position. He coaches the safeties. He's looking at safeties. He's been looking at the safeties intensely since he got here. Uh, and the two guys, this is what stood out to me. The two guys who um, had the best spring, the two guys who improved the most from winter to spring and then have improved from spring to summer, it's the same two guys. I remember when Lincoln Riley told us, you know, way back in the spring, if we had a game tomorrow, our starting safeties would be Patrick Fields and DeLaron Turner Yell. And we're all like, everybody, you know, who watches OU, who um, goes to practice and talks to people and watches the games, we're all like, oh, okay, yeah, but you really, coach, you don't have a game tomorrow. <laughs> you don't have a game tomorrow, so clearly it's not going to be those guys. No, those guys have held their positions. That's been a, a, extremely impressive when you consider Patrick Fields, the Tulsa kid. Um, Redskin for life, right? I guess. I think he was here most of his, his uh, high school career or school career. He played in six games last year. He played in six games. Um, and then DeLaron Turner Yell, he played in seven. Or I guess, yeah, seven, seven of the last eight. That's what he did. He played in seven of the last eight. You've got Robert Barnes, who was a full time starter last year. You've got Justin Broyles, who really, to me, stood out in the spring as the guy who's going to be the guy who wins a starting job and is the, clearly the best player and blah, blah, blah. I mean, 
It's the, it's Delaren Turner yelling. It's Patrick Fields. That's that's pretty impressive for those guys to be able to do that. And then you've got guys like Jordan Parker, who's been around long enough. He's he's played corner. He's played safety. Um, you've got a guy like Chance Selby, who's gotten numerous play on words here chances, and has been in and out in and out of the lineup. He's made plays. He's been reliable, but he's been a safety. And yet, it's these two guys. It's Delaren Turner yelling. It's Patrick Fields. A couple of sophomores who have really and this is Alex Grinch's words they have really separated themselves that's got to be impressive no I mean it certainly is but you know kind of to the original point or the original thing that you were talking about Delarian Turner Yell Patrick Fields I kind of, I kind of get the initial like shock that I saw on Twitter that I saw from OU fans and even in my group chat like oh really like that's mm-hmm. who's that's who's got that's who's got the starting spot down at this point I really don't know if you should necessarily question it because first of all we're we're talking about a secondary that was the worst in college football whoever starts like with a new um defensive regime you should at least have the understanding that okay it's not like it's just mike stoops out there we're gonna try this again we're gonna throw everything back out there and see if it works this time so you should at least have that blind optimism moving forward whoever it is that um starts out in the secondary um, for against Houston, and then when you talk about each individual player, um, Patrick Fields, I mean, he looked competent in the Orange Bowl, <laughs> you know, and right. it was just one of those things where when he came out onto the field, it was like, and I believe was this after Robert Barnes got trucked by uh, Jacobs? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, you're thinking like as an OU fan, and I'm like, OU has lost the game by this point. It's just like, oh, oh my God, it, it is going to get so much worse. Um, this guy has played, but he's. You know he he's not ready for this. This is Alabama. This is a game that is already lost. And he went out there and he made sure tackles. He tackled guys that were right in front of him. He went for their went for the ankles. He wasn't trying to level anybody or try and get a Sports Center highlight. Um, he was just out there doing his job, which at the time was incredibly refreshing. I remember. Now I don't know how that's going to age um, after an off season or him actually being a starter. You know he'll have plenty of opportunity to show that he's not necessarily the guy. Or but at this, in the same token, he has plenty of opportunity to show that he's just been a diamond in the rough that just needed the opportunity. And then with the Larry Turner Yale, and I'll admit, John, this is kind of corny, but we, that's we got to that point as an, as OU fans. Um, last year, West Virginia, he drops that gimme interception that uh, Will Greer arm punt that he threw. Um, I think midway in the fourth quarter, and if he had caught that ball, OU would have had a very good chance to just basically run the clock out, control the game, and then walk away uh, victory with a victory. Now they ultimately did, of course, but it it came with some late game heroics. Yeah. But he drops that interception, and then so many minutes pass by. And the camera just randomly shows DTY on the sideline. And he is bawling his eyes out. And at the time, I'm like, I like that. Like, I seriously like that. I like that he understands how grave his m- mistake possibly could be. That he's t- he's crying in public <laughs> around his teammates. And in, like in my warped <laughs> in my warped mind as a Sooner fan, John, I thought it's because he's young and it's because he ha- he hasn't had the chance to have his mind warped. Um, by Mike Stoops or by this defensive regime that's just like, oh, yeah, okay, you made a mistake. Everything's going to be fine. Go back out there. Nothing's going to change. So um, I've got to say, with these two, I'm at least ready to give them a chance if they if they ultimately are the starting safeties. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, between the two of them last year, they made 25 tackles. 
which is not a lot, obviously. Um, but I'm going to die, John. Patrick Fields had eight tackles against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Is that not what you're looking for out of your safety as a freshman? Okay, as a freshman. Um, so I think I, I think what you're saying is is absolutely correct. You look at a guy like Jordan Thomas, uh, the two trays, um, Parnell Motley, Jordan Parker. They all had their best days when they were freshmen. When yeah. they were when when OU's back was up against the wall and Mike Stoops was pulling his hair out and he didn't know what else to do and he made Kerry Cooks that just damn it just put somebody in there I don't care who it is just put him in there and <laughs> take a freshman off the bench and stick him in and the guy plays well that happened for a stretch of like four years in a row five years in a row you're like wait a minute what's what's the common theme here the freshmen get up there and they they play great and then by the time they're ju- sophomores juniors seniors. They're playing like garbage. What's the common theme? They're getting coached is what the common theme was. They're getting coached and they're getting too much coaching. They're getting too much meddling, too much trying to change a player to fit what you do or what you want them to do. Instead of just letting them go out there and play like they can play, I think that has permeated the entire defense. And that's one of the things, I don't mean to keep beating up on Mike Stoops, but that is one of the things that when I've, when I've said it before, the, the defensive culture at OU was rotted from within. It was it was irreparable. It had to be torn out, gutted, maybe torn down, and just completely replaced. And that's what ultimately that's what Lincoln Riley realized. Um, maybe a, probably a year too late. But the simple fact of the matter is, under Alex Grinch, and we have yet to see, of course, what. To be fair, we have yet to see what kind of coach he is and how guys respond to his coaching. But just talking to the players after two weeks of practice and after spring football, he's he's all about positivity. Um, yeah, he's going to yell at him. He's going to cuss, and he's going to he's going to dog cuss him until his voice is hoarse. But he's all about positivity. He's all about building them up. And I think the the players will tell you that's a completely different mindset. No, exactly. And you know, at the end of the day, it, it's it's kind of silly to try and hammer down four or five guys in the secondary because at the end of the day we'll be four, five, six games into the season, all these guys are going to play. And that, and that can yep. even be after the secondary really really plays well. I mean, you're going to you're gonna need a rotation of guys in there, and different teams are going to have different packages that are going to require different ta- types of talented players. You know, Justin Broyles might not play this game, but uh, a future opponent, you know, Broyles probably makes a lot of sense. So to hammer down four or five guys and just – you know, have that in your mind going forward. Like I get the, I get the comfort level that it gives that gives a fan. But yeah. these guys are all going to play at some point. Well, it, to to take that point a step further, um, something that Alex Grinch said, I believe on Monday, said, "I wish there was more competition." Oh, we, at the safety he was talking about, we have two guys in Delaren and Pat that have really established themselves at this point. Wish there was more competition. So if you'll remember back on media day, I asked him about you've had guys for the, who have played the last two or three years who have been in the lineup and out of the lineup, in the lineup because the other guy couldn't get it done, out of the lineup because they couldn't get it done. A lot of ups and a lot of downs by the guys that you have played. But fact of the matter is they have all played. They've, they haven't always played well, but they have all played. I said, is it, is it better to have that and have that kind of competition constantly brewing or is it better to have two guys at the safety position, or five total in the DB in the defensive backfield? Is it better to have certain guys separate and elevate themselves and say, "I'm the starter"? And he said, "In a perfect world, uh, I think coaches would agree that you'd rather have the 
the two safeties emerge. You'd rather have the five guys in the defensive backfield say, I'm the starter. And, and he talked about the defense. You'd rather have 11. And then he said, well, you'd really rather have 22. But, yeah, um, 11, 11 starters is what you need. So it's it's interesting, just the idea. There's There's been some guys on the field from the OU defense that have been baptized by fire. And maybe maybe they're not who they thought they were. Maybe they're not who the previous defensive coaches thought they were. And maybe it's time to turn to some freshmen. Maybe, you know, because we've seen for the last four years, we've seen freshmen go in and play better in the OU defensive backfield. Maybe it's time to turn to some of those young guys. Yeah, and, and, you know, you're talking about media day when you talk to Alex Grinch. This was long before we ever knew about a guy named Austin Jackson in the secondary walk-on from, uh, what was it, East Tennessee and then Clemson? Yeah. Uh And he didn't, he didn't play much at Clemson. No, no. He, no to this be is totally transparent. He didn't play. I think he played in what five games in two years. But, yeah, uh, he made hey, appearances let's, let's, in five games. He, I think is a, probably a better descriptor. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. He looks across the country though, and he sees which which teams have a shot at a championship that need immediate defensive help in the secondary. Who's more obvious than OU? There, I'm, I'm surprised more people aren't beating down the Sooners' door uh, looking for a grad transfer or transfer opportunity. Now you'd think, and, and now if you want to look at it this way, because again, I I have no idea the the level of leadership Austin Jackson has. I, I don't know if he's a vocal guy. I don't know if he's a guy that the players really respect. You know, he's like like we just said, he's a walk on from two different schools, uh, a grad transfer. But now, like at least in theory and on paper, OU has a guy on offense that has won national championships and won at a high level at Alabama and Jalen Hurts, and now they've got a vo- another voice on the defensive end of the ball in the probably the place that needs the most help, the secondary, that has been at a school, been in a culture of a championship. So OU <laughs> OU has plenty of good vibes that they can you know that they can catch for some some of their players. But um, what if? What if uh, Jalen throws an interception in practice and Austin Jackson picks it off and he's like, all day, Jalen, I told you that the last two years, three years, you can't throw it over me. I mean, what a great trash talk opportunity that would be for for either guy, you know, or, or he throws, or Jalen throws a pass and Jackson can't, you know, knock it down or his man beats him or whatever. It's Jalen Hurts doing the trash talking. That'd be awesome. Yeah, but I'll tell you this: if uh, OU, if OU's football Twitter account put it out there on a video clip, they would edit it to show that you couldn't tell who threw the ball. That's right. <laughs> that is under lock and key. But so, uh, to be to be fair for Austin Jackson, now real quick, he might be a terrific safety. He might be just literally like one of the best safeties in the country. But when you go to Clemson, you can't get on the field. Think about that for just a second. Uh, Austin Kendall might be might have been the second best quarterback in the country last year, <laughs> right? I mean, we're we're having a little fun, but at the same time, um, if if the best guy in the country is in front of you, then you're not going to get on the field. Uh, that, and and think of all these offensive linemen that we've been talking about for the past few year for the past few weeks uh, at Oklahoma. Um, we don't know how good Tyrese Robinson is. We don't know how good Adrian Ailey is or Eric Swenson or Marquise Hayes. Because they've been behind a bunch of NFL guys for the past two or three or four years, so um, well, it, it could be interesting. He could Austin Jackson could be an immediate help when he gets to OU. Well, I guess to help segue to the offensive end of the ball, John, and to quote Lincoln Riley at the same time, because you mentioned Swenson. Uh, Swenson, what we do know about him is that he's not good enough for Michigan's offense. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> no, um, I was actually, um, I was Shame. actually. 
I was actually on Spencer Davis's and Keegan Renault's podcast, uh, Podcast on the Prairie. They do a fantastic job covering OU football, everybody. Give them a listen. I was on there uh, last night, John, and we were talking about this uh, Lincoln Riley soundbite, talking about Swenson. And I don't know if you've noticed this because, look, I know Lincoln Riley's a very confident coach. He's a confident guy, and that's really played into him not just being a successful recruiter but a successful offensive coordinator and a successful coach. But to me, like, this offseason has been so interesting because he's been so outwardly cocky. Like, he had that um, Big 12 media call-in where he said that none of these teams in this conference really make me lose any sleep. And yeah. and now he says this, and it's like, yeah, it's kind of funny because that's how it ended up. And sh- I know OU and Michigan aren't always recruiting against each other, but they're still blue blood, big-time programs. They're going to have some recruiting battles down the road. I, it's just interesting to see Lincoln Riley going into a season where there are quite a bit of question marks, not just defensively, but even on the offensive, the offensive end of the ball. He's still incredibly cocky. He's got a lot of Switzer in him. He does have a lot of Switzer in him, doesn't he? More, more probably Switzer than Stoops. Oh, the, uh, oh when it come, comes to stuff like that. He's got Bob's cadence and speech, but he has yeah. like Switzer's personality almost. And um, yeah, a little bit, not not quite as uh, outgoing, but you know, friendlier, obviously more warm and welcoming. I guess uh, make more attractive. You want to be you want to be around Lincoln Riley, and in that way, he's more like Switzer for sure. Just because you know, he, when you're around him, he makes you feel uh, welcome, or, or uh, you know, like he's not talking down to you or anything. Um, He's, he's got that going for him. I honestly think that, and this this might be just because I'm around him a lot, Lincoln, I don't think he's being cocky. I just don't think he's dishonest. I don't think he's full of crap, you know? I think yeah. he's uh, I think he's a straight shooter. And so when someone, some, some talking head asks, which one of these teams keep you up at night? His, his honest answer is... Nothing keeps me up at night. I'm fine. These, <laughs> these these guys don't keep me up at night. I mean, I totally get. I don't think that's cocky at all. I think that's confident, yes, um, but honest as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that's fair to say. And like, what what I'm trying to say is is um, you know Lincoln's not necessarily wrong here because you just look at his short record as the head coach. He has, and even I'm um, going back to 2015 when he came to OU. He's had a lot of success in this conference. I mean. He's only lost what two games, two or three games since two games. yeah two games Iowa State and Texas, and he's won Big Twelve championships every single year. So yeah, he has every reason to say like yeah none of them do. I mean I have he can have the extreme confidence in his system and his team and it's fine. But you know you let, let's put this quote onto a twenty year old linebacker. You know, that, that, that's the thing, and that's kind of the the, the uh, where the line is drawn is like, oh, if a yeah. player says it, it's one thing. If a coach says it, it's another thing. But uh, it's nothing that I'm like concerned about. I'm just like, wow, like the, the confidence is certainly there from the head man at OU. Yeah, or maybe a 20, 20 year old third string quarterback <laughs> talking about the Ohio State Buckeyes. They <laughs> have a very basic defense. Oh, what are you doing? Oh man! And that was the last time we ever heard from Austin Kendall. Yeah, I wonder how many of like the student section, how much we're gonna see like basic quarterback signs if Austin right. Kendall is the guy for West Virginia when uh, they come to Norman. <laughs> basic quarterback—that's awesome. It's so sad. Poor Austin Kendall. He had really nothing to do with that disaster of a game, but man, it was a bad look. Bad look. Bad luck. But um, 
I guess uh, since we were kind of talking about Swenson, the offensive line, um, when I said earlier about Lincoln Riley going into the season with some question marks, um, offensively, yeah, it's not just at the quarterback, as everyone has kind of talked about, but also the offensive line. And um, there are quite a few people, John, that believe that this offensive line has the capability of being um, maybe even just as good as the previous offensive line, just because the talent level is so much higher um, starting off with this revamped offensive line than it was with the previous uh, run of guys, you know, like uh, Drew Samia, uh, uh, Bobby Evans, uh, Powers. Uh, certainly, they became NFL. Dra- they became NFL draft picks. They became uh, probably the best, one of the better offensive lines in recent school history. But um, starting off, you you've got to like the optimism with this bunch of guys moving forward. But at the end of the day, offensive line is so hard to predict because it's not just talent. It's not just you plug in one individual talented guy here and there, and then together they make a, a strong group. They've all got to be on the same page. They've got to understand yep. the. They've got to understand chemistry. They've got to understand not where they're supposed to go, but where the running backs, the receivers, the quarterback is going to be looking. Because this offense is so predicated on timing and precision, and even simple things like counter plays. Like it, it requires speed and intelligence, and you don't you don't learn that practicing against your teammates in the summer, in the fall. You learn that against against opponents where you don't really know where to where to expect a guy so you know you look at their schedule and uh you can look at it one of two ways john you can look at it as wow that like ou has quite a bit of time to prepare for texas with this offensive line because there's not a lot of got like ucla doesn't have a defensive line that scares you houston doesn't south dakota whatever you can look at it that way or you can look at it as oh snap the first team with a pulse with a def- on the defensive line that this team's going to face is Texas. I hope they figure it out by then. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the Texas game, um, you know, early in the or excuse me, early in the conference season is uh, is always, um, I guess. Uh, what am I trying to say? It's always uh, sketchy. Always makes you wonder. Um, are they going to be? Uh, are they going to be ready for that level? Especially if you haven't played somebody in the non-con that prepares you for that level of football. Uh, and I think, to some degree, that might have been the case last year. You know, the the UCLA was supposed to be the marquee game, and UCLA was garbage last year. It was Army that was the marquee game. <laughs> Army, Army, that's right. Yeah, you wouldn't expect that out of a bunch of. Uh, uh, future tank operators and stuff like that, right? Bunch yeah. of small offensive linemen, but the boy, those guys were good. They were technical and they played their asses off. Versus, I'm a five star and I don't have to work that hard. That's that's who UCLA had a lot of. The the offensive line when you when you talk about cohesiveness and everybody being on the same page and everybody knowing what the reads are and the communication factor that goes into that and a lot of the communication is unsaid. I'll take you back to. You know, the, the best, the quote-unquote best offensive line in school history, so to speak, 2008. You know, Phil Lodeholt on one side, Trent Williams on the other. The guards were Duke Robinson and, and Brandon, uh, uh, what was his name, Brandon Walker. Yeah. Uh, center was uh, John Cooper. Those guys were so good. But it took one guy, one play of reading something wrong and, that cost them a national championship. One guy stepped the wrong direction. Brandon Walker was supposed to pick up, uh, you know, guy guy crossed his face and, and he he thought John Cooper on the right guard was uh, was gonna he was passing his guy off basically to John Cooper, 
and you know he ends up knifing through the line and taking down Chris Brown on a fourth and one at the goal line. That would have been an OU touchdown if he just grazes the guy. He didn't have to road grade him out of there or knock him on his backside or declete him or anything like that. He just had to catch something, anything other than letting him run free into the running back for a two-yard loss. That cost OU a national championship. Game, so, sh- game shouldn't count it, John. Uh, uh, Florida had murderers on their team. Shouldn't count. Oh yeah, no, literally <laughs> murderers. Yeah, you're right. Um, if they, if if, uh, if if that play never happens, OU's got another championship. Bob Stoops has another national championship. More than likely, I, I think uh, OU would have eventually, you know, getting that touchdown would have. The OU defense was good enough that year to stop Tebow and those guys. I think OU wins that game. Changes the end of, uh, you know. Think about this too. The SEC would—that was the start of their, uh, you know, seventh straight national championship run. That would have certainly interrupted that. It was, I think it started in 2007, did it, or 2006? 2006, uh, Florida beat yeah, Ohio State. Yeah, and and so 2008, that would have certainly interrupted it. Maybe the Big 12 has a little bit different. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the Big 12 has is viewed differently by the rest of the, and maybe the SEC is as well. Maybe things change. Who knows? You can play the what if game all day. But it's all because of, and I'm not blaming it all on Brandon Walker by any stretch. I'm just saying that is a, the one play that game came down to an example of one play that decides a championship or casts you into the runner-up position. Offensive line, and, and again, that was the best O-line in school history, at least until 2017, which that one was outdone by the 2018 group that won the Joe Moore Award. I mean, Bill Biedenboe is going to produce some NFL offensive linemen He's going. These guys that are getting coached up by him now, we don't know how good they are because they've simply never played. It's very likely that some of them are are extremely good and are going to be in the NFL in a couple of years. It's just as likely that some of the the guys who have never played that they're going to be thrown into the fire, that they're going to fall on their face, they're going to fail. And Bill Beatonbow right now, he's looking for depth. He's looking for guys who can come in and say, um, you know, I'm reliable enough. To play at this position, I think he's nailed down his five. Yeah, I think he's probably still looking for his second five in case someone does falter. He's looking for that one guy who can step into a position, and it could be R.J. Proctor if he doesn't. If he's not one of the starter starters at guards at guard, R.J. Proctor could be the guy who comes in and spells both guards, or he could even get snaps at tackle. He's been working a little bit of tackle this preseason. Yeah, and I was actually going to bring that point up because I kind of feel the same that uh, Biedenboe has his five guys. Like, he has them in mind because um, what you're really looking for, like you said, is depth. And it's so interesting because the last few to- the last two times that OU has had major um, overhauls on the offens- offensive line, I feel like it was 2013 or maybe 2015 for sure. But those two years, and in those two examples, the guys who started the season – ultimately were undone around the Texas game. And the guys that backed them up, the younger guys, were so much better. They were so much better. They they went into the conference. They won all their games. They won a Big 12 championship. You're like, And this is going back, you know, 2015, obviously. Um, they All those examples. And it's just so interesting that it, sometimes it has taken Beedenbo and OU a loss to Texas to figure these things out. And I guess the fear for OU fans is hopefully – um, whoever the guy, the combination of guys are moving forward, hopefully, obviously you want it out game one, but if it bleeds into the season a little bit, hopefully it doesn't come at the expense of a loss. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and it could this year. The, the schedule is such that, you know, you, you're not you're not fearing anybody on the non-con, I don't think. Um, and, and it might be a little careless to assume that 
you're going to go into the Rose Bowl and stroll out of there with a victory? Yeah, I don't think it's uh, going to be easy by any means. I mean, it, it's, right. it's, a, it's a lot to travel to L.A. and go into the Rose Bowl. It's such a great mm-hmm. environment. It's going to be a test just in terms of the amount of miles that this team has to travel. And then US, UCLA has talent. And, you know, I looked at uh, the Bruins' schedule last night. They, they start off on the road at Cincinnati. And then they play San Diego State at home and then OU at home. And I, I've got to think that Chip Kelly is putting everything into his power to game plan for OU at this point because they can be 1-1 one and one at worst going into that OU game. If Chip mm-hmm. Kelly gets a win over the Sooners and is 2-1, and one, they're set. They're pretty darn set with the hype and the momentum moving forward. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I do think that there's every possibility. You said they open at on the road at Cincinnati. Yeah, they played Cincinnati at home last year, the game before they played OU, yeah. and they had like 45 penalties and just looked terrible. Nice. But yeah, they I'll op- call Cincinnati to win that one. Then. I'll call that one right now. Yeah, that, that's why I'm like at worst they're one and one heading into the uh-huh. OU game. I don't know how good San Diego State is randomly. Every once in a while, they're kind of good and they've got some good skill guys. But I'm going to safely assume that UCLA's one and one. Yeah, and and uh, you know if Oklahoma goes out there and performs, you know Jalen. Listen, a lot of times if you start a freshman quarterback and you roll him out there in the uh, San Gabriel Mountains and the sun's setting, you know it's five o'clock, right? Uh, five o'clock kickoff, and and you've got um, some some really good players across across the line, and you've got a coach who's won championships and played uh, uh, raised a national championship level program in, in Oregon and has been in the NFL and you roll your you roll Spencer Rattler out there uh, you know true freshman that's been on campus for a few months or even Tanner, Tanner Mordecai who's never really played in quote quote unquote a big game you might get a little wide-eyed you might get, hyperventilate a little bit you know <laughs> um, but you since Jalen Hurts is, is your guy if Jalen Hurts is your guy we're all assuming at this point he is you, you think that's going to be too big for him no, I mean that's that's exactly why Jalen Hurts to me is the is the starting quarterback for moments like that to calm everybody down and and be that leader that everybody wants him to be. Um, I, I think that's a, a little bit of a scary game. Let's just say maybe something happens to Jalen in the uh, South Dakota game or uh, you know in the, in the opener against Houston. You, if you go out there with a brand new quarterback, uh, you're you're suddenly opening yourself up to the possibility of an upset. Yeah, and actually, um, I guess we can finish off with this thought because there there was a question I asked you over the phone the other day, but I guess we'll table that for a future podcast because, John, like I said, we've got a few more weeks still until OU's first game, so we've got plenty of ideas for some content. Um, We're not going to miss out on anything, but um, on the podcast I did with Rufus on Monday... You know, he brought up some pretty interesting points talking about the quarterback battle. and Like, you brought up a good point. Because that's, whenever I'm, even when I'm thinking way too hard about it, um, my brain usually goes to, you know, Jalen Hurts, he's not a a game manager. He's not a scrub. And he's been in so many big environments, so many big games, that you need him um, on the road in the Rose Bowl. You'll need him. Uh, in the Cotton Bowl, because we all know that stat about like quarterbacks in the the OU Texas game making their first start in that game are two and twenty two or whatever in the last twenty four games. Well, that doesn't that really shouldn't apply to Jalen Hurts because he's not going to be he's not going to be starstruck walking down the tunnel at the Cotton Bowl. It'll be an experience, but he's been there before. Um, but you know, Rufus did bring up an interesting point that uh, he believes that. 
And again, Rufus is a guy that goes to practices and he's plugged into the program, of course. Um, he told me that he feels like if Spencer has to come out there in one of the first two games because the offense is sputtering, that he thinks at that point it's over and done with, that Lincoln will just kind of just go with Spencer Rattler moving forward. And I was just curious um, if you got a chance to listen to that and what your thoughts are just basically on that idea. Yeah, I did listen to that. Um, I don't think Lincoln is um, a, a knee-jerk reaction type of coach. I think if he names Jalen the starter or whoever, it's going to be it's going to be because he feels great conviction that that player has shown him something that would allow him to lead the team to a championship. If, I mean, he, if it's if it's so close that he's just guessing, yeah, I think that's a possibility that, you know, ah, I guess Jalen wasn't the guy. I guess Jalen's got Jalen's limitations are going to hold him back. Let's go ahead and go with the young guy. I don't – the problem is I don't think it's – and I'm not trying to supplant what Rufus said because Rufus sees with his own eyes when he goes to practice, but I don't think the, 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 the competition is so close between a, a guy who has the – pedigree and the career accomplishments and the ability that Jalen Hurts has versus a guy who all he's got right now is potential. I I don't, I don't think it's that close. I really don't. I I don't think it's even as much respect as I have for Lincoln and and the process that he goes through. I do not recognize this as a quarterback competition. Yeah. Again, my brain is always going to align with that way of thinking when I really take a breath and think about it. But there, there is always that, that really small possibility because we've seen this happen, John. We've seen guys that um, have been chosen as the starting quarterback that you then assume, okay, it's because they they perform better in practice. Um, the coaches feel uh, much more confidence in this guy to get the job done than the other guy. You know, whatever reason it is. But again, like I said earlier, it's one thing to practice against your teammates for a summer and a fall. It's a completely different story when you're playing against a, a diff- an opponent in front of 90,000 people. You know, some guys, you know, it might be different. And again, that doesn't, that really shouldn't apply to Jalen Hurts because he's kind of a finished product at this point in terms of we know he's not going to be scared. But with Lincoln Riley's offense, it kind of gives you another kind of monkey wrench in the whole situation because, you know, he, he could be up to the task. He can be, he can have all the cerebral understanding of the offense that um, he could possibly have. But it could just be a simple matter of the offense just isn't moving like it should be. And then, uh-huh. and then Lincoln has the, you know, Lincoln probably has the confidence in Spencer Rattler because he's recruited him, he understands him, and apparently Spencer's been lighting it up in practice from um, all the whispers I've heard. If if it gets to a point where you know it's it's Houston and OU is winning the game, but they're not winning by what Lincoln thinks it should be because the offense is making mistakes, going three and out. If he throws Spencer Rattler out there, I I think at the least you're going to do yourself probably a disservice because then more people are going to question it, which is why I don't think it's going to happen, but it's just interesting that that conversation is even out there considering what Jalen Hurts is. Well, if you do, if you do throw Spencer Rattler out there, do you, what kind of leash does he have? I mean, if, if you're going to give Jalen Hurts, who has accomplished so much in his career, uh, if you're going to bench him because the, the offense is sputtering or the chemistry is bad or he's not on the same page with his receivers or whatever, uh, what kind of leash do you give a true freshman who's just out there trying to run around and make plays and be excitable and, you know, uh, throw a touchdown pass, and right? I mean, if he screws up, if your true freshman screws up, do you stick with him? 
Yeah, again, like I think I said it to Rufus as well. Um, I think a lot of this thought is just like the the there was fuel added to this fire that a, a an upperclassman who may not have have it at the level that the fan base wants the offense to be rolling at. You go with the freshman, the, the young, talented freshman. The reason why that that's out there is because of the Trevor Lawrence situation. I feel like some yeah. fans are probably just going to lazily put like if Jalen Hurts goes out there and the offense sputters, people are going to have that in their mind that, oh, it worked for Clemson and Trevor Lawrence, throw out Spencer Rattler. It, it, every situation is different. Um, right, and, and you're crazy if you think Lincoln didn't, didn't notice that Trevor Lawrence situation too. Kelly Bryant <laughs> gets you to a national championship game, loses, uh, five-star freshman, best recruit in the country, comes in, commits, signs, um, really obviously – uh, is is capable of playing college football at a high level. I, I'm trying to remember what game was it. Was it Syracuse, that, right? Uh, no, no, Texas A&M. Oh. Texas A&M, where uh, Kelly Bryant, you know, I think he threw, rushed for a touchdown, threw for a touchdown, but they put uh, Trevor Lawrence in there for like a drive, and what does he do? He throws a 64 yard touchdown pass. It's like, damn. <laughs> so if something like that happens. Yeah, I could see. Where, but but the thing is, is I number one, I don't think Jalen's going to be looking over his shoulder, and number two, I think Jalen is a far better quarterback, um, better better runner, yes, more like more than likely a better thrower in a lot of situations. He's he's a better overall quarterback than Kelly Bryant was. So I don't I don't know. And and, and Lincoln, you're right. He's treading a, on a slippery slope if he inserts the freshman and the freshman. You know, blows everybody's hair back. That's yeah. uh, something he's going to have to think about. And again, at the end of the day, from what we've been able to gather, I mean, the locker room has the utmost respect for Jalen Hurts, and they seem yeah. like Jalen seems like a guy that they're ready to rally around, and that's really helped OU over the last few years. Like Baker Mayfield was a guy that the team can rally around. Kyler Murray was this, you know, he wasn't as vocal, but his sheer talent alone, you know, pe- like players had the respect for Kyler Murray. And you can kind of maybe throw Jalen maybe into the middle somewhere based off his experience, his um, his resume, and then he's 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 kind of shown that he's he's vocal, he's willing to like hoot and holler and get in people's faces from what we've been able to see in offseason content from OU. But I, I don't know. Again, this is just all great podcast content, John. But we've been doing this for an hour, and I know you're busy. Um, we'll have plenty of opportunities uh, moving forward. But really quick, I just wanted to give you. An opportunity is anything that you're working on, looking forward to this over the weekend, coming into the next week as OU starts uh, game preparation for Houston in the next few weeks. Well, uh, first of all, I'm on vacation next week. Oh, yeah, so looking forward to no that. Podcast, no podcast for me um, or radio or columns or anything else, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to be posting some video. you find it at thefranchiseok.com. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and hit the little notification bell. And when I post a video from OU interviews, OSU interviews, TU interviews, or whatever, and this is going to be all football season long, uh, you'll get a notification. New video has posted, and you'll be among the first to see whether it's a conversation with, um, you know, Lincoln Riley or Bill Beatenbow or Jalen Hurts or whatever it is. Uh, you know, you'll you'll be right in the middle of it. So yeah, subscribe, like the channel, like the page, whatever it is. YouTube, John Hoover, check that out. And then uh, always, I highly recommend keeping your eye on thefranchiseok.com. We've got a lot of hardworking, talented people who uh, post their stuff to that website. So uh, don't worry if you, if you don't see anything from me next week. I'm, all, I'm just on vacation. <laughs> well, just 
you deserve one, John. You're about to be Thank you. you're about to be working all the hours of the day and night in the morning. It's going to be wild. It's football season in Oklahoma almost, so everybody's excited. But yeah, go enjoy your uh, go enjoy your vacation, and we'll talk to you, of course, back when you get back from vacation. And in the meantime, I'm sure Rufus and I will get together for a podcast or two in the week while John is gone. Uh, so everybody, thank you guys so so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Hopefully, we entertained you for an hour. Um, get this out later on. And, uh, of course, we'll keep you entertained on Twitter as much as possible. But yeah, like John said, we've got a whole podcast network going out. We've got fantasy sports, sports betting. Um, I got the Thunder podcast going. Madison Morris just put out a solo pod last night. That's really awesome. Check that out. Um, Sam Mays has a podcast, which everybody loves. So please go check out all the content that we're giving you guys for free. We're having fun with it, so y'all should too. But for Mr. John Hoover, this is Brady Trantham. Y'all have a great day. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Listen to John Hoover weekdays from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.